The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Well, I realize that the Seahawks season opens today, and I realize that there's a few people wearing Green Bay Packer gear, and um, we've, actually, we've actually tried to send them packing, of all things, um, but the, the, the police actually refused to help us get them out of the building, so we just, just endure it for now. Um, but uh, I, as, as much as the NFL season is underway, how many of you guys are still Mariners fans? That is so lame, you guys. <laughs> so we went to a game last night, and McKinley's and Heather and I had a great time. And, um, you know, I realized that like two weeks ago, we were like in the hunt, and then we got swept by the angels. And it's like, I quit. When did the Seahawks start? You know, um, and that's some of you. But I'm still a Mariner fan, you guys. I'm not giving up yet. They're not out of it yet. I realize you go, yeah, but they're close. Knock it off, Okay. Quit thinking like that. And uh, anyway, we went to a game last night, had a great time. Uh, of course, watched the Mariners uh, kick some butt. It was fun. But um, I actually went with uh, Steve and Twyla, and, and uh, we went, I think back in May, we went to a game. And a few years ago, they started talking about the menu change. How many guys have been to Safeco? Is it t- so much better than the Kingdom, right? You remember the Kingdom? Like sitting on concrete, like hemorrhoids, and any, just forget it. But. Um, <laughs> I did, yeah, I said that, so, but, um, but it's so much better, I love Safeco, and it's just a fun experience, and real grass, and of course, the, the roof opens up and stuff, I love it, but when they changed the menu, they added something that I'm like, you're kidding, right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Crickets, right? Crickets. You can eat crickets, and I, as, as soon as I heard about it, and here's what the story was, they sell out every time they have them, like people buy them, they sell out, I'm like, what in the world, it's disgusting, I remember going to visit like lizards in the cages, and they feed them crickets, anyway, so I have crickets at Safeco, and I, my first thought was, oh, heck no, 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 I'm not touching, that's disgusting, I'm not eating a cricket, and um, unless I'm on a missions trip, then you said I have to, anyway, but, um, but I was thinking, I'm not doing that. Well, we, we go to the game, and somebody, who, I don't know who it was in our group, or somebody had um, a little cup that they had bought of crickets. And they said, no, no, it's okay, they're chili lime. And I'm like, well, chili lime, I mean, sure, that's, that's better, I guess, you know. Um, but I, a couple years ago, I'm like, there's no way I'm eating one of those. May comes along, we're at the game, and I'm like, oh, you know. And there's people here, and they're like, okay, come on, let's all do this. I'm like, oh, man. Okay, just once, okay? And so we're like, okay, everybody grab one. And okay, count of three. So count of three, one, two, three, pop it in. You're chewing it up. The chili lime lasts for about this long. Oh, it's chili, ooh. <laughs> so how many of you guys have been on a summertime road trip and then washed your car right after that? And you're spraying the front of it off? And you have, you know that it's hot and so the, the steam is coming off the front of the car and you can smell bugs? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? That is exactly what you're tasting when you eat a cricket at Safeco. It's disgusting. And you look back for me in May and here's Steve and me and a couple other guys and we're like, okay, count of three. And I'm thinking, how did I get here? And I have two words for you that I want you to say right along with me. Everybody say peer pressure peer pressure. That's how, because there was no way I'm ever going to eat crickets until a bunch of yahoos go, let's all do it. So I did. Anyway, um, you know, I didn't have to pay for them, so maybe I'm a cheapskate. Maybe it's just funny. We got it on video, which I'm not going to show you, but anyway, um, I still got a little leg up in my gum. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. I don't really. 
My wife got it out. So, um, okay, just kidding. I'm joking. Okay. Let's pray, and we're going to be done for today. Okay, just, Lord, we're so grateful just for... But, but here, here, peer pressure, by definition, goes like this. The social influence of a peer group, uh, so, excuse me, the social influence a peer group exerts on its individual members as each member attempts to conform to the expectations of the group. Said a little bit more plain, it's a feeling that one must do the same things as other people of one's age or social group in order to be liked or respected by them. What it comes down to, and this is for all of us, it comes down to the power of acceptance. We all want to belong. And here's the thing. You have those outliers that say, oh, I don't care to belong or I'm not belonging, whatever. They get mad about clicks or whatever that is. And the truth is, I believe like psychologically or sociologically that they say they hate to belong because it's easier to play it safe than find yourself trying to belong and being rejected. So instead of being rejected, some people just kind of play it safe. And there's some people in the room that are like that. And I'm not saying that to pick on anybody. I just believe that every person, and in fact, God created every one of us to belong, that God wants us in community. And so as we walk through this, you think about like the kid on the playground and every kid's jumping off the tire. And so you jump off the tire and you get a little older and you're in junior high and you're dared by a friend to take a hit of weed back on the back of the bleachers or whatever, uh, or, or, you know, hanging out with your friends somewhere else. And so you take a hit of weed and then it becomes the high schooler who isn't afraid to have fun at a party and do things they really shouldn't do. And they get a reputation. Um, and it leads again, it, you know, it continues along. Here's the catch that we know about peer pressure. It doesn't end simply because you graduate high school. It doesn't end simply because you turn 18 or 21 or 25 or well, now I'm married and I'm more secure or now I'm in this career, I have this status in my life or whatever that is. Peer pressure doesn't simply go away just because you, you somehow reach a certain point in your life. There are adults in this room right now who feel the pressure to act a certain way or to dress a certain way or, or to own something that they can't afford because somebody around them has it and they had to have it too or do something dumb because someone dares you. I read this story and it's from a little while back, but in 2008, 46-year-old David Monk was on a holiday in Italy with a group of friends. After having a few beers one evening, the lads decided to steal a protective mat that covered the metal barriers at the bottom of a ski slope and use it as a sled. They hiked up the hill, hurled themselves down, and promptly slammed straight into the very barrier they'd stolen the protective matting from. We're all pressured by someone, and as you look back, we're going to be in Judges today. If you got a Bible, Judges, it's towards the beginning, about the seventh book in of the Bible. Um, Judges chapter 2 is where we're going to land, because peer pressure is not anything new in this era of life. You go all the way back in the history of the world, and peer pressure has always been a challenge. Judges 2 verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give your forefathers. I said, I will never break covenant with you and you shall not make covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you've disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Also, I have said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you and their gods will become a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bochim. 
There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance, in Timnath, Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They followed... Excuse me, therefore sook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the anger of the Lord because they forsook him and served the Baals and Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them they were in great distress. Father, today as we stop and pray, God, we just ask that your spirit would help open our eyes to this whole conversation. The power of peer pressure is a big deal. And I happen to believe, I think for every person in the room, no matter if we're in here, we're in elementary or middle or junior high school or high school, or God, we're all the way up into our 60s or 70s or 80s, it doesn't matter. We all face the effects of peer pressure. God, help us see clearly how you would help us handle it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the book of Judges, and if you've been reading the Bible plan, we read through it quite some time ago, if you're not super familiar with the book of Judges, it's a period in the nation of Israel where God rises up a leader, a judge, over the nation to basically deliver them from some sort of peril. There's Midianites and Amorites, all these different groups that, that they've got problems with, and so different judges rise up. At the beginning of the book, this is where we get to the end of Joshua, and so you, you finish the book of Joshua, you finish Joshua's leadership in Israel, and then this kind of whole situation goes on. In, in Judges chapter 1, it tells us over and over that the Lord commanded that the Israelites take this portion of the land, and, and that was their inheritance, the promised land. The, the, the issue that comes to play here, though, in Judges 1 is they, they went into their promised land, their area of land, but they did not do everything God told them to do. God told them to, to, to drive out all of the people in that land, or they would be a stumbling block. And if you read Judges 1, it will say, say over and over, I, don't even, I didn't even count how many times, five, six, seven, eight times that this tribe went to this portion of land, but they didn't do what God told them to do. And this tribe went to this portion of land and they didn't do all that God told them. It says they failed to do. They failed to do. They failed to do. So when you get to Judges chapter 2, it says that the angel of the Lord, somehow, we don't know, appears to the people and speaks, whether it's to the leadership or, or to the old people or whatever, the angel of the Lord says to them, we've got some problems here. And it starts with this, the angel of the Lord goes back and says, I told you, or God told you a long time ago that you needed to obey me fully and I would make covenant with you. I won't break my covenant with you. The problem is you've broken your covenant with the Lord because they had. Now, the issue comes up, it says this at the end of verse one, I said, I will never break my covenant. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. 
okay? This is, is this conversation of what they were called to do. They were called to influence others, not be influenced by others. There's a certain evil going on all over the land and, and worship of other gods, and the Lord says, don't give in to that. In fact, destroy it. Take care of it. Otherwise, it's going to be a problem for you. It's the power of influence. God said, you be influencers, and instead, they were influenced by these other people. As it continues on, it says, you failed to do that. And then in verse 3, it says, I will not drive them out before you because God had told them, you'll drive them out. Sure, I'll go with you. Sure, I'll give you favor. Sure, I'll bless you. But you're called to drive them out. Don't expect me by my you know, almighty power to sort of just smite them and sweep them away and you can have your land. No, no, I'm telling you to go drive them out. So when it says in verse 3, I won't drive them out, that's why. God says, I told you to do it, which is a whole other sermon for another day. How many things does God tell us to take responsibility for, and yet we're just praying, God, just do a big miracle here. God, just do this big thing here. And it's not a bad thing to pray for miracles, obviously. God is in the miracle-working business, and we ought to pray, but how many times is God asking us to do something in particular, and we're not doing it, we're just waiting on him to do something? And so that's a whole other sermon, but as you walk through this, they're not doing what they've been asked to do. And so he says, they're going to become traps for you. And then as we kind of just take the, these four verses, verse 6 through 10, it, it's, it's Joshua and his leadership, and, and he passes on, and they, they bury him and, and stuff and remember him, and that's great, and so they honor him. But then we get into the problem. The next generation grows up. Verse 10, it says, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Joshua and the elders of Israel, after they had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord or what he had done for Israel. Okay? Now, this is also, in a sense, failed leadership from Joshua and that generation of leaders because they were told, and you can read this in particular in Deuteronomy, but over and over in the earlier books of the Bible here, they were told, pass on what God has done to the younger generations. Make sure that you're talking about who the Lord is, what God has done for you, because we need to never forget. So they were told to talk about Abraham. Talk about Isaac, talk about Jacob, talk about Joseph. Tell the story of the Red Sea. Tell about what Moses is. Tell what Joshua had done. Talk about Jericho. All these things that had happened, they were told to hand those down because they can remember how awesome, how mighty God is. And somehow they failed to do what they were supposed to do as leaders. And it's a great reminder for you and me are we talking about what God has done? As you and I raise our children, are we doing justice to helping them understand how awesome God is, how much God cares about them, and what God has done even in our own lives? By a raise of hands, how many guys would say God's done some pretty awesome things in your life at one point or another? Raise your hands high. Come on. Keep them up. Look around. Now, put your hands down. Are you handing down to those that, that are younger than you or those in your own family lineage, are you handing down the stories of what God has done in your life so your kids can go, hey, that God is awesome, and man, I want that. Because we're called to do it. And somehow, for whatever reason, it wasn't happening with Joshua and the elders and that next generation. It says, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. Again, being reminded, look at what God has done. They followed and worshipped various gods of what? The peoples around them. Peer pressure. 
Wait, they have this God, and look what they get to do with this temple. Look what they get to do with this pole that's set up. Look what they get to do. Boy, there's the Lord, and, and we're kind of, that's kind of old hat, been there, done that, but look at this new God. Look at how flashy this is. Look at how neat this shrine is. And they were enthralled by what the other nations were doing around them because they didn't take care of the problem early on. And so all of a sudden, their hearts are, are turned towards these other gods, and it says they aroused the Lord's anger, verse, end of verse 12, and then end of verse 13, because they forsook him and served the Baals and Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them, who sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them, whom they were no longer able to resist. See, the peer pressure for the nation of Israel was so strong that they, they gave in. And the peer pressure for you and me in the world that we live in is that we can find it real easy to begin to giving in because we're surrounded by other influences rather than what God would have us follow, what God would have us do. And so instead of being influencers, we fall prey to being influenced by those things around us that God says, don't get into that. Don't let that be a habit in your life. Don't let that become an issue. Don't, don't, don't go there. And we follow the same pattern as the nation of Israel, and then it gets worse. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn. You didn't keep up your end of the bargain. God says, I'm stepping back, and you're going to face the wrath you're going to face because you don't want me. You, you, you act like you do. Even in the moment of repentance, a few verses before this, it only lasted a short time before they were giving themselves to the things that God said, don't do that. And then look at this. They were in great distress. See, that's where we find ourselves when those influences overtake us. That's where we find ourselves. It, it's, I said it a couple of weeks ago that sin, Hebrews 11, is fun, but just for a season. Because we find out later it's a trap. All of a sudden we have these things in our lives that are no good. The second part of Proverbs 13, 20 says this, a companion of fools suffers harm. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write that down. I'll get to the first part in a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Paul quotes a Greek poet named Menander. And he says this, Bad company corrupts good character. See, in, in, in youth ministry years ago, we used to say it this way, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Not that you can't influence those around you that don't yet know Jesus, but if you find yourself being influenced by them, don't be surprised if you're not being cautious. Don't be surprised if you fall prey to those things. So the question for you and me is this, who is influencing you? Who is influencing you? Where are you getting what you believe about life? Where are you getting your, your worldview? Where are you getting the, the path that you're following? Well, so-and-so did it. Well, I like them, and they seem to do that. Well, I, I really idolize that person, and they have it all together. They get it. Why can't I? They do it. Why shouldn't I? Who's influencing you? And then the next question is simply this, and who are you influencing? Who are you influencing? Because I really believe this. 
that every one of us is given some sort of platform. It may not be that you stand in front of people and speak or you, 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 you travel around and, and, and train this and do that all over, but, but, but maybe, just maybe, you're able to influence a neighbor. Maybe, just maybe, God's given you the gift of family and as the parent, the mom or the dad or, or the grandparent, even the aunt or the uncle, you have influence over those kids that are younger in your family lineage. Are you influencing? Because God gives every one of us some level of influence. Are you using your influence appropriately? If not, what changes? If you're not using your influence the way God would want you to, what should change? What would be different? How do you walk throughout the rest of this life going, God, I have influence, what do I do? And I want to give you a few, and these are just basic, but I want to share with you. Um, let me go back to Proverbs 13, 20. The first part of the verse says this, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. So, so how, do we, how do we leverage the influence that God's given us? And these are going to be basic because here's the deal. This is a whole series that we're going to, we're going to take on different nuances of this conversation about peer pressure. But, but God, God gives every one of us opportunities to influence. And, and the two things, I've already mentioned one of them, two things about influence. One, it does, or, or peer pressure, it doesn't end because we turn 18 or 20 or whatever. But the other thing is this, peer pressure can be negative, but can also be positive. Like I read a couple of those verses, as iron sharpens iron, or walk with the wise and become wise. So how, how, do we in, how do we leverage any influence God gives us, whether it's one person that lives next door, or it's the, you're the boss at your, your company and you got a bunch of people that look to you, or you're on a committee in the community or, or through the school or whatever it might be, what, what do you do? And I would say, and I know these are basic, but I would encourage you not only write these down, but walk through them. Even throughout this week, just grab, a, if you're taking notes, which I always encourage, write a couple of these things out. The first thing is this, pray for it. And I know you go, come on, that's too easy. That's everything, pray for it, pray about it. I get that on one hand it's simple, but on the other hand, when was the last time you prayed, God, help me leverage whatever influence I have. Show me what it is. Show me who it is. Show me how to do it. I, I, I was, last weekend, um, we were celebrating our 18th anniversary, Heather and I, and, and um, so we, we went to Seattle, and we're spending some time down there and, and at some places we had been back when we got engaged over Alki Beach and stuff like that. Well, we drove around the, the you know, uh, north side of Alki and around the bend there towards the west side, and there was a little spot to park right along the water, and so you got the, the ferry and, you know, the, the uh, Olympic Mountains, and so we, we parked there, and... Um, we, we just sat and we, we, had a couple, we brought a couple of books and we just were reading with the windows down. Um, and I know, you're like, seriously, that's how you spent your anniversary? <laughs> so anyway, so here's what we did. Um, so I know, I know we're nerds, okay? I get it. We love to read. But anyway, so we're reading and I had been wanting to finish a book on prayer. So I'm sitting in the driver's seat and she's sitting over here and the water's over here and there's people riding bikes by and walking by and kids and adults and cars driving by. And I finish a chapter in this book on prayer and, and it was about um, following what God would have, like his voice. And, and it's not, and I love the book because it doesn't paint it like this, like 
Nick, this is the Lord. Here's what you need to go do. Thank you, God. Okay. Because for us, it's like, how many of us really hear God's voice like that? And if you do, teach me, sensei. Anyway, but um, so I'm literally, I finish this one chapter and I go, God, I do. I just want to know how you're leading, how you, what your voice is in my life. And moments after this, and it doesn't always work this way, but moments after this, a car drives by and I hear it go tick, 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 tick on the way by and it pulls over in front of me a little ways. And I'm sitting there and another car pulls in behind them and I think they're enjoying the view and they're sitting in their cars. And I'm like, that guy's got a nail or a screw in his tire. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You hear that noise and you know like something. Anyway, and I just was like, he's got a screw in his tire. And then I'm like, I had just prayed for it. So you know what? I'm just gonna go let him know. No big deal. So I go up there, I go up to this car and and I'm, I'm the weirdo that's like, hey, roll down your window, you know? So I took my glasses off. I set my book down, okay? So I like roll down your window. So he rolls down his window. I say, say, hey, I know this sounds weird, but I I think you might have like a screw or a nail in your tire. And I said, but if you roll forward, I'm going to go like in front of your car. I said, but just don't run me over. So so he's like, okay. So I literally like get in front of the car about six, seven feet. And I like come down, I'm like this. and, And he rolls forward. And sure enough, there was a giant screw in his passenger side front tire. And so, so I said, come here. And I, so he gets out and he looks. I said, you got a screw there, man. And um, it was still inflated. And so I said, well, hey, do you want to change it? Or, you know, I'll help you change it or whatever. And he goes, no, no, I live just a little ways up the street. It's no big deal. And, and so this is when I was like, you know what? I just happen to believe in such a simple way that that's just a way that God kind of just helps somebody, right? It's not a big deal. Like God didn't say, this guy, this guy's going to drive by with a screw in his tire. Thank you, Lord. You know, so simple stuff. And I, I, I said, here's the thing. I said, maybe this sounds weird to you because this is what I try to do so people don't think I'm nuts. I said, maybe this sounds weird to you. I said, but I was just sitting in my car and I'm reading a book on prayer and I had just prayed, Lord, I just want to know how you're leading me. And so I, I got out, I heard you go by and I felt like you got a screw. I said, so maybe that sounds strange, but I just think that God was letting you know so you don't maybe get a blood on the freeway or whatever um, so you can get it changed. And he goes, oh, cool, thanks. And he goes, so you're a Christian? I said, yeah, actually I am. And, and so he goes, oh, I am too. And so, and, and again, we had a brief conversation and, um, and I got back in my car and then I, I put my glasses back on and started reading again. Anyway, um, but... <laughs> But I know some of you guys are like, well, wait a minute. Like, did you like pray with him? And he like, he fell on the ground and you, you, you baptized him in the water and all of a sudden the heavens open and like doves came around like, ah, you know, none of it. None of that happened. It was the most practical, like whatever moment. And yet on one hand you go, oh, that's just some guy. And you happen to know that sound or whatever. Fine. But I happened to go, I just prayed and, and we were able to figure out he's got a screw and he needs to go to Les Schwab, you know, whatever. Um, and so it's, it's that thing where I do believe that if we can just pray, God, show me. Honestly, I don't think it has to be, oh, Lord of the heavens, and I'll pray this crazy prayer, all the right words and the right phrase, and you got to pray and bow down and whatever. I think sometimes just, God, just show me. And I really, I, I'm practical enough to go, I believe that God answers that. And sometimes in a moment you can know it and go, that was God. And other moments you're not sure, but that's Okay. And over time, you can look back and sometimes you go, well, that was God, but you didn't know it in the moment until years later. So, so again, this, number one, just pray. Number two, and I think this is a big deal, and I'm going to kind of speed through some of these, um, choose a Philippians 4, 8 life. Some of you guys don't know that verse, and I'll read it for you. It's one a couple years ago in our life group we talked about, you know, putting a memory. But it says, finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
It's putting your mind in the right places. And I love the verse. And if you're looking for one to memorize, this is one. This is one to write down and put it to memory. But it's got a bunch of, of words that help us understand where should our mind be. And it gives you like, whatever things, and so it lists them out. And I love that because, and you've heard this before, and I did not invent this, but, but the, a simple kind of idea goes like this. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, reap a destiny. So the, the power of how we think about stuff and what, what Philippians 4.8 does to get our mind on the right things helps us leverage our attitude, leverage what happens in our lives, leverage how we should see this world that we live in. Choose a Philippians 4.8 life. Number three, surround yourself with people that are walking the same journey. It doesn't mean that you're only around people that love Jesus because we're called to be influencers, we're called to, to be ambassadors, but this is why we talk so much about life groups around here and you hear about life groups because we want you to be connected in groups of, of, of 8, 10, 15, 20 people gathered together walking through some scriptures and challenging one another and praying for each other because there's something about our ability to be encouraged by others that are on this journey, maybe not in the same place on the journey, but they're on the journey. Go, what can I do? And, and so even some of you guys caught that, um, like we, we, we made some decisions on our calendar that were not e easy decisions to make. And, and we sat down a couple of weeks ago and going over the whole calendar going, man, guys, I, if it's like your calendar at home, you add stuff, but you don't necessarily take away stuff. And pretty soon you look back and go, why are we busy all the time? And as a church, we were kind of just going over this and looking at the whole fall and into winter. And we were like, man, this, I don't know, this is probably not healthy, guys. We need to figure this out. And we had to make some hard decisions. And so, for instance, Grove Men on Thursday, we were going to have Grove Men and gather 100 guys or whatever, and it's fun. And that's awesome. But we really went, you know, it's, it's another thing. And here's the decision for us that we really had to make prayerfully. We want to see people connected in life groups more than we want to see large gatherings of people. And Grove Men is great, and I love that people invite their friends, and it's a great, I love that. And it's not gone forever. We just said, well, right now, we just got to take a pause, and we're going to figure some things out. But, um, but we want people connected in groups because it's more intentional than 100 people gathered together hanging out. And so we had to make tough decisions because we want people to surround yourself with others that are walking this journey in life groups. And then finally, and I know this is overly simplified, and I said, like I said, we're going to talk about some other nuances of peer pressure and conversations in the coming weeks, and I'm excited about that, but um, this is a simple one, and the reason, is, this is like entry level, honestly, invite someone to church. So ways to influence, the reason we say, well, that's, that doesn't seem like influence, no, no, what it is, though, is it's helping people outside of church world know that you're part of church world and that Jesus matters to you, and it may not be that you're talking about your theology or you're walking through the steps of the gospel and helping them understand, although that's huge, and, and we, we've had conversations about how to walk people through what Jesus has done and, and how much that matters, but like Seahawk Sunday is a great Sunday to invite people, so we printed out a bunch of these cards. It just says Seahawk Sunday, and on the back, it's got some descriptions about next Sunday, because it's it's another way to help people be influenced for who Jesus is. Not only that, but when they realize you're a Christian, you realize you got to change maybe how you're living a little bit. Uh-oh, oh, now they know I'm a Christian. And that's a good thing. It's a good tension to have. Um, I'll finish with this, but um, three of our four kids are, are in school and, and, um, and uh, they're, they're going to, to public school. And now my kids, they've been homeschooled for the last bunch of years. So like my kids, they're churning butter and, and making clothes and, you know, <laughs> And that's, you know, my daughter, my daughter made me this jacket. So anyway, so, but anyway, um, 
so my kids have been homeschooled, but this year we, we were prayerfully concerned. What do we do? And so, so they're in public school. Well, one of my kids, nine years old, is in school, and she, the other, two nights ago, two nights ago, we, were, we were put our kids to bed, and we pray with them and talk with them before bed, and, and my, my nine-year-old daughter, she, she's just like, um, I don't know if I did the right thing. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Well, at school, the teacher, our assignment at school was to, to uh, write what would, what would I want my teacher to know about me, and just a little kind of essay thing third grade, and fourth grade. Oh, my word. <laughs> anyway, so, so well, I said, well, okay, well, what did you do? She said, well, I wrote on there, she said that, that I love Jesus. I said, well, honey, that, that, I think that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. You want your teacher to know that Jesus matters to you. That's cool. She goes, I know, but maybe I went too far. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is literally a conversation with a nine-year-old kid. She goes, maybe I want to. I said, what do, you, what do you mean by that? And Heather and I were sitting there, and, and she's feeling kind of apprehensive. apprehensive. And, and she goes, well, I, said, I told her that I love Jesus, but then I, then I wrote on there that I want her to love Jesus too. I, seriously, I'm like, so, so, so she goes, I, want, I, I told her that I wanted her to love Jesus too, and that I go to the Grove Church, and if she wants to come, I would love to see her at church. <laughs> this, is, this is what she writes. I seriously, so... Here's me in the room. Here's her. She's on her bed, and Heather's sitting on the bed. I'm kind of kneeling on the bed, and we're right there. And, and I'm there going, well, honey, you did That's great. Baby, you didn't do anything wrong. That's wonderful. That's cool, you know? And, and, and so we pray with her and walk out. I'm like, bye, honey. You know, have a good night. Love you. And I'm looking at Heather going, yes! woo Yeah! That's awesome! That's my kid! You know, but I couldn't do that. So I'm like, babe, you did the right thing. It was great. I said, knit her a shirt. She'll love it. Anyway, no, she didn't. Um, but, but I say that not, not to, I mean, my wife's done a great job with my kiddos, and so we both try to, but she just, she loves people and wants people to love Jesus, and, and that matters, and so it was as simple as she's, sure, she said, I love Jesus, I want you too, but then she just said, I'd love to see you in church, and maybe she's here today. If you're here, God bless you. I'm glad you're here. If you were invited by my daughter, that's cool, but um, it's, it really is just that idea that how are we leveraging the influence that God gives us? What are we doing with it? And I'm not the epitome, and my daughter isn't the epitome of perfection, and we do everything right, and we get it. We, all, we stumble along trying to figure this out, too. But, but I want to encourage you, God gives every one of us some level of influence. And are we allowing other influences to, to, to bend us the wrong directions, and are we leveraging the influence God gives us the right way? Because peer pressure is a reality for all of us, no matter what age, and there's positive peer pressure, and there's negative peer pressure. God, today, I just, my prayer is that we can wrap our heads around this and realize it's not a new conversation. This is old stuff. There may be stuff today that nobody in here learned new. But you know what? My prayer is that we would understand that peer pressure is real for all of us. And my prayer is that, that we would leverage it appropriately, God, and, and, and help people realize how much you love them and, and, and help people see Jesus, that we care about that. all those different ways. And so I pray as we walk through this series and just kind of open the door today that God, you would help us understand how we're wired and what you've done for us to to get, that we have influence and that there's things that influence us. And are we taking the right steps to do with what you desire, the ways we can influence? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.